Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. It's It's been warm here, which I like. It's been hot. It's been hot. Uh, it's, it's, I'm cool with that. I actually like that. Um, but but the my impulse is just to play and mm. because i'm a grown-up with a mortgage and responsibilities and children i'm not able to do that as much so I'm, I'm i'm feeling a little grumpy that i've had to like go to the office and be responsible i could turn my sprinklers on for you when you leave if you want to <laughs> just run through them yeah yeah frolic <laughs> about on your way home uh our, our our children were playing in my front yard the other day and i turned the sprinklers on on them i did that too just not even all my I'm one of my kids and several other kids yeah, that yeah. are not mine yeah you, you, one of them was, so it was m- one of my kids one of your kids and then like four other neighborhood hoodlums and I just lit them up got them it was great Andrew how are you uh, I'm good I'm also I you know I'm finding ways to cope with the heat the AC is on and I'm not going outside uh, I don't know how I survived proper hot summers um, now with like a, a day in the mid 90s I'm like oh, I'm gonna fucking die today Right, this is not Fort Hood temperatures. No, here. but it's just unpleasant. I, I'm starting to miss fall, and it's, it's not even really that close. But other than that, you know, staying busy. I'm excited to see the World Athletic Championships over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's happening. It's it's starting. The opening events are on Friday morning, and yeah, it's going to be crazy. And for those of you uninitiated, this is track and field. The World Championships are taking place in in our in our hometown in in our in, in our where we live humble abode mm-hmm. of Eugene Oregon it is for sure one of the biggest track and field events in the world at any at any time and it's pretty special yeah first time in the western hemisphere and, and that's being hosted in Eugene Oregon which is a, just a just a real puzzler but it's going to make for a really cool couple of weeks track down USA I think the one thing we're lacking is proper hotel support. So things get a little, a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. People are able to like, um, Airbnb their houses for a month at a time and get really significant money. Well, and you know, we have cities all up and down the Valley, you know, Portland seeing a big jump and the whole I five corridor. So should be an interesting couple of weeks. And and you'll notice there was no tab Mm -mm. at the beginning. We're drinking cocktails. Yeah. A lovely uh, grapefruit cocktail. Tequila and grapefruit. Which is uh, Andrew Andrew has made for us. But so that was the, it wasn't a jingle bell. It was ice clinking in a glass. Because that's what we're doing. This is the, and it's not Christmas. Mm -mm. It's not Christmas. I don't have any handy jingle bells, but we should move on. We are going to talk about watches. We're going to talk about watches today. And for that purpose, uh, we've, we've invited a guest on our show, which is something we do from time to time. Real rarely though. And I'll say, you know, we've had some, we've had some handsome people on the show. We have, we've had some, uh, Brett Williams, mm-hmm. obviously of Tool Watch Co. Mm-hmm. Handsome, handsome fellow. I mean, he's a, he's an actor, a famous actor. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think our guest today is maybe like, uh, he's, he's top three, I would say. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Yeah, this is a good looking man. We've got. He today. knows too. He's like he's smiling, like as if he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, you're right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm blushing, guys. I'm blushing over here. We've got with you today, with us today, Patrick Bremer of the Bremoir Watch Company. Patrick, how are you? Welcome to Forty and Twenty, the Watch Clicker Podcast. I'm great. Thanks so so much for having me. That was quite the introduction. I don't know if I've ever had an introduction like that before. And you probably um, never will again. <laughs> I mean, we're just, that's the kind of people we are. Incredibly but, but has, unprofessional and totally willing to embarrass someone. But, you know, as you as you guys were introing the show, you got me excited. I was like, man, are these guys, are these guys that big of pros where they have done their research to an extent that they knew? That I ran track in college. <laughs> I didn't know that. Adam I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. <clears throat> anyway, I did not know that the world championships were in Eugene. That's cool. Well, um, have you been to? So, as a college track and field athlete, have you been to Hayward? I've not, but I know all about the Prefontaine Classic mm-hmm. and how that's uh, absolutely massive meet annually, of course. Um, and it's kind of like an iconic stadium, right, for track. Well, it, it, it was, it was, and then they destroyed it and they've built a, a new, probably the nicest track and field stadium in the entire world. So, uh, mm-hmm. in Eugene, Oregon of all places, cause why not? Yeah. Cause you know, Phil Knight, uncle Phil, man, <laughs> uncle Phil go. hooking it up. Well, what was your event? I was actually a pole vaulter. Oh my gosh. You can believe it. So m- one of my best friends name is Sam Roberts. Not related yeah. to Andrew Roberts. However, Andrew Roberts' wife is also named Sam Roberts. Mm-hmm. My friend from, from law school was a UW, which I think you're also a UW guy, but he's a yeah, University of Washington pole vault. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, great. We, we didn't bring you here to talk about pole vaulting. We could, though. Because, you know. I It'll mean, be in the next show. The next show. Let's save yeah. that one. Okay. Okay, that's perfect. We brought you here to talk about... To talk about the watch brand, you you started a watch brand. Yeah, pretty cool, right, guys? It, it is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> who even who would even think of such a thing? It's insane. It's insane. Who's doing it these days? No one. No one. No one. What a crazy thing! So you are the founder of Brimoire Watches, which is in in some ways your namesake watch company. I would say. Um, Marshall, it's a bit of a hybrid. It's a bit of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. So, so, so first, uh, for for those that are uninitiated, because I think some people will be listening to this and have maybe not heard of you or not be familiar with Bremoir. So, why don't you just for the uninitiated give us the Reader's Digest version? What is Bremoir, and what are you doing with this brand? Yeah, so so Bremoir is basically watch brand dedicated to designing contemporary timepieces inspired by the age of Art Deco, uh, more specifically inspired by Art Deco architecture. Mm -hmm. So uh, you certainly see a lot of brands that are inspired by motorsports, a lot of different sports, actually. Um, I don't think there's that many brands that are inspired by architecture. But when you think about it, it kind of makes a lot of sense, right? It, it, um, it does, yeah. There's a lot of interesting curves and angles, and you got to look at proportions um, when you're 
you know, designing a, a building or a house or anything else that's a vertical structure. So it lends itself actually really well to watch design. The, the so, art deco aesthetic. Or well, the architecture yeah, in the, general. Okay. In sure. general. I think art deco architecture is incredibly distinctive, right? It's very easy to spot art mm -hmm. deco architecture in any big city. Yeah, absolutely. But it was also incredibly clean. It was almost like one of the early, uh, you could say, minimalist movements. Not completely minimalist because there was a lot of... Flourish. De decoration. Yeah. Decoration in art deco. But there was also a lot of symmetry. There was a lot of use of geometric uh, shapes. And obviously that lends itself well to watches, right? Yeah. Um, but I didn't choose to start a brand because of architecture being, you know, a good way to translate that into watches. It was just because I like watches. I love Art Deco architecture. Um, and I wanted to combine two passions of mine and get back into kind of creating something fun, new, uh, going down a path that a lot of other brands haven't gone down before. Mm -hmm. well, well, let's come back to Art Deco because because I think we need to talk about that more as we as we move through some of this show here. But um, with that introduction, uh, I'll just say Bremoir has released its debut watch in this last year, really late last summer, about a year ago now, is when the Lexington you, you, Bremor's debut watch started making the rounds. I think you you had prototypes in circulation late last summer. Um, and, and then towards the end of the year, you were getting ready to launch and you've now launched successfully. So we, we have seen about a, a year of Bremor and the Lexington. Take us back, take us back further, take us back five or six years ago. Uh, or, or, you know, I'm guessing because I don't know exactly w when this started, but take us back to the, the actual genesis. You said you've combined two of your hobbies. I, I know the answer to the question, but um, you, you, you're interested in Art Deco. What, what's the other interest? And, and how does that become what this is now? Yeah, so, of course, the other interest in, is watches. Um, got into watches probably about... 20 years ago at this point, I remember my first watch in high school. It was a relatively inexpensive Scoggin. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wore it all the time, wore it through college. I'm going to tie in the track thing. Went up to the University of Wisconsin. We won Big Tens. And what did we get gifted as Big Ten champs was championship watches. Oh, that's that was cool. Number, that was number two. So that's a, that's a great one that's sitting over there in a little case. What kind of watch was yeah. it? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it wasn't a super nice watch. It looks really cool. It's a quartz, which is fine. We're not going to bash on the quartz watches, but the brand was Selco. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to the Google. Not, Se not Seiko. Not Seiko. Selco. Selco. Yeah, yeah. That's Selco. That's different. <laughs> It's a notable yeah. difference. We we've got a community, uh, uh, a credit union, yeah, here called Selco. Uh, so maybe yeah. maybe they made it. 
Yeah. So anyway, so so all of a sudden I've got another watch and uh, yeah, all of a sudden I just got into watches and then, you know, kind of for a while I was into antiquing and I would come across all these old pocket watches. And I think that was honestly the first time I actually realized that there were some watches that weren't powered by batteries. Sure. I was like, oh my God, these things have gears and springs. Wow. Look at this. <laughs> so that's when a little bit of the nerdery started to, you know, be birthed. Yeah, because then, it's a, it's a nerdy it's a nerdy hobby. Mm-hmm. It's okay if we admit that, right? Yeah, of course, of it, course. It, it's a nerdy hobby. Yeah, inherently. But the <laughs> natural extension of that is getting into vintage watches because at the time they were more affordable. It was interesting. They were old, so that sort of tied into my interest in older things, older objects that had stories in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was into vintage for a while, and now I've got just a mix of vintage and modern, some nouveau vintage, as I'm understanding they're calling watches from the 90s now. Oh, Ooh. that that yeah. is the nouveau vintage, huh? Yeah, I will tell you, there's an aesthetic. There's a 90s aesthetic that we have not fully come back to. But at some point, I would say, let's just say 20 years from now, there is going to be a movement where people are like, look at this. I don't know. We talked about Breitling last week. Look at this super fucking ugly Breitling Super Ocean. from. It's so 90s. That's the most amazing thing. It's going to happen. Yeah. Look at this titanium (laughs) G-Shock. Oh, so you're into vintage watches. Is there? Yeah, so so make a long story short, I'm into watches. No, make it, make the long story long. We've got to kill an hour here, Patrick. Oh, that'll be easy, gentlemen. That'll be easy. (laughs) I told you I came from happy hour, so don't get me talking. (laughs) Um, So then, yeah, fast forward. I'm in my 30s, my mid-30s, I should say. Um, and I'm I'm going through a divorce. And all of a sudden, I've got time on my hands, you know? When you're not in a relationship, no wife, I'm like, okay, I've got extra time. I want to get back into doing something a little bit of a little bit more creative. Um it's either that or the dog track. Yeah. Yeah, that, or maybe that or and. The, the pub down the street. Yeah, there's actually a lot of options now that I think about it. But doing something uh, productive seemed to be uh, the way to go. So, you know, again, this was just like, I'm gonna have some fun. I'm gonna start designing a watch. I'm gonna make it like Art Deco feeling. Not really with the intention of like, oh, I'm gonna start a watch brand. Sure, because right. that's a crazy thing to decide. Because that's to that's that's a that's too much work. That's a lot of work. Yeah. And um, so I started down this process, and a good buddy of mine, he's an industrial designer. So all of a sudden, I was like, "Hey, man, you wanna you wanna have some fun with me over here and design this watch?" And he's like, "Yeah, maybe you've got to pay me, but maybe I'll give you a good deal." So it was one of those things where, you know, and he's super talented, you know, but he's not a watch guy at all. So we then spend the next couple of years, dare I say, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of getting together every other week, 
weekends, maybe some nights here and there, go down this process. We start designing a dive watch and then I kind of realize I'm like, God, that market is so saturated. Everyone did a dive watch already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no. Okay. So we took five steps back. We saved a little bit of the design. So if you've really looked at the Lexington, you know that the case is a little bit dive watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 If you take away that elegant bezel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we completely redesigned the dial and the hands and everything inside the case. So after that reset, you know, that put us back another God, six months, let's call it. And then we're finally getting to the making some good progress. And we're both jazzed about the uh, pun intended, by the way, jazz. Right, the, right. I was going to say. Roy 20s, age of Art Deco. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We were both jazzed about the design and we're like, yeah, I think this, I think this could be something. I pulled in another friend of mine who was uh, a former executive at Leo Burnett and their big branding marketing agency out of Chicago. Um, And he kind of just, he loved the watch and he's like, man, I think like Art Deco, nobody's really playing in this space. There's so much great content here to work with in terms of a new Roaring Twenties. Um, there's just a lot of interesting parallels between the 1920s and and now, and that would be like a totally separate podcast in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and, and, and at that time, I assume at the time you're having this conversation, you didn't even know about the biggest parallel, which was that we were going to be on the tail end of a of a giant, massive international right. yeah. pandemic. Yeah. So when I started designing the Lexington. And this was pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's totally weird and bizarre that history really does repeat itself mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, guys, I mean, it was just, it's been a total slow, diligent evolution of how we've come to be where we are today. Well, and, and so it's been, it's been a blast. I got to say, are you a creator by trade or is that just something that is like, it's just an outlet for you? Yeah, it was, it was always an outlet. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a kid, I loved drawing. I, you know, did pretty well in art classes, um, carried that into college again, all just for fun, never pursued it, um, professionally or anything. Mm -hmm. And maybe had I done it again, I might've gone into the arts and done something full-time, in the creatives. What do you do professionally? I work in sales. So would it be uh, fair to say that you are a creator of yeses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're, on, we're on the pun train tonight. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boom. Oh, boom. He's nailing it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that was a good setup. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we high fived live on the show. I don't know that we've ever done that. Um, so, so you are... You're creating this watch. You're, you know, you, you, you kind of downplayed, I think. You say, well, I never thought it was going to be a brand. I'm just sort of creating a watch. Meanwhile, you've paid an industrial designer to help you with making this, I assume, two-dimensional to design, three-dimensional. So so you're obviously not completely disconnected from the idea at this point that this may go somewhere. So when when did that crystallize? When, when, did, the, when did this go from a project that you're doing with your friend that you're paying him for to uh, 
<laughs> I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a watch. I'm gonna be a watch brand. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're 100 right in that. Once you start paying somebody, you kind of really want to do it, mm-hmm. and the cash outlays give you more and more incentive to carry it through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got more right. and more skin in the game because it's becoming yeah, very like, much more expensive for just the one watch for you versus to make a whole. Yeah, I mean, production. by the time yeah. you get to prototyping, you're you're twenty, thirty, thirty-five grand in, mm-hmm. and now you're like pot committed is yeah, what they call I'm that. Do, yeah. I'm doing this hundred percent. Um, but you know, the other thing that's swirling in the background is like you get to a point in like. Ah, maybe midlife where you're like, man, I, I, I now really want to do something that I'm passionate about and that I'm really interested in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you're, and you're maybe not playing. You're, you're maybe in an industry where it, it's easy to have passion about what you're doing, but, but it's, you know, always really metric driven and it, it can be a life sucker, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of on the hamster wheel, kind of not. I mean, it depends. I mean, but I got to say, you know, I've been in the industry for, call it a year now. And like, it's a fun industry. You meet cool people all the time. Mm -hmm. It's a global industry. So, you know, you can go to, you know, I was in France a couple of times this summer. I met uh, these guys in Marseille at a watch shop. Super cool guys, super helpful you know, they were happy to meet with me and hear about Bremoir. I left a couple hours later. They're all, you know, posting pictures of my watches and like, you know, it's just a, it's like a great community, super supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is why we're here, right? Because this community is so great. We, you know, we, we yeah. don't do this every week because we're getting paid because we're not. Uh, rather we do this every week because we've just been sucked in by, by the people, right? The group, the community, you know, whether those are our listeners that we talk to on Instagram or, um, you know, just people who don't even listen, but we've just met, you Mm -hmm. you know, or owners at this point, you know, we've, we've met with dozens of owners and it's, it's always amazing when you meet someone, you're like, you're my friend now we're friends. (laughs) That's the supportiveness of this community. And, and, I don't know. I, we dig it. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And I'm so glad you've of, seen that. Speaking yeah. of friends, I, I got to ask since we didn't have too much time before the show. Um, so I, I obviously connected with Mike out in DC. Mm-hmm. Mike Ray's I guess write some articles for the site. How did you end up coming to know him? Who is another super cool dude that I got to spend time with at the district time show. So I don't know. Shout out to Mike. We don't talk about him anymore. We don't. We don't. We, Mike oh, is he, actually. He's yeah, on the outs. He's on the outs. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, of, of course he's not. But so we met Mike. We started this podcast, just the two of us. It was just the two of us. And we had a podcast. And then, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, those those folks at home will know this. Um, and, and then we met Will. We actually had Will, the watch clicker, on our show to, to just as a guest, just like you're here today, Patrick. And mm-hmm. we just really liked him and thought this is a good fit. And we approached Will kind of simultaneously. He was planning to approach us, which is just a beautiful notebook style love story mm-hmm. uh, and, and merged our, uh, our, our group. So we've now watch clicker and 40 and 20, the watch clicker podcast. Um, and, and Mike was a writer for watch clicker. So 
we were introduced to your watch through Mike, who mm-hmm. I think was probably introduced to you through Lauren at the time bone. This is a very yeah. incestuous industry. It, we're yeah, in. it really yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, Mike has now taken over Tempest Fudget watch. I think it's probably Fudget, but I like saying Fudget. I like Fudget. Uh, which is, is, is actually a really cool website and he's doing just a, a different thing. So no longer writing for us. Uh, we've each written each other off for, uh, wasteful, uh, wasteful humans mm-hmm. and removed him from the group chat. <laughs> <laughs> None of this is true. Uh, but yeah, that's how we know Mike. And, and that is how we came to know you, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, where were we? Yeah. Now that we've talked about Mike. Yeah. Um, and how he's dead to us. Mm-hmm. And how he's dead to us. Let's talk a little bit about your watch, because that is the goods. That is what we talk about. That's why we're here. Let's talk about the Lexington. We, we've talked about it a little bit, kind of an ancillary, uh, uh, off-kilter approach. Let's just talk about the watch, man. It's sure. a 39 millimeter. I don't know that I'd call it a dress watch, but I think it sort of evokes what a modern person may call a dress watch. Mm-hmm. Give us, give us your version. What is this watch? Yeah. You know, I, I, as I think about, and again, I, I, I hesitate to call myself a designer, but there's a little bit there. Um, in design, I always like things that kind of straddles the fence of things, right? It kind of can be a dress watch. Some people might see it a little bit more as a sport watch because it's got that masculine dive watch chunkiness to it. Yeah, yeah. But then again, it's got the elegant stepped bezel that's polished that contrasts nice, nicely against the brushed finishing of the majority of the rest of the case. And then you've got that, you know, beautiful, like, fluted, thing that narrows at the crown and then gets big again and it runs lug to lug and it's just what what I think Mike called a ribbon chamfer which I think is a is mm-hmm. a, a fantastic term. Yeah. A beautiful term. Beautiful term. I'm going to use that moving forward now. A ribbon <laughs> chamfer. Yeah. Uh, so, so right, you don't box Patrick Bremer in. This isn't a dress watch, but it is a dress watch. No. Well, you know, uh the Royal Oak. What is the Royal Oak? Yeah, no, they had to just start call. They had to invent an, a term that nobody understands: sports watch for the Royal mm. Oak, right? What, what is it? Well, we don't even know what that means. Nobody knows sports what it means. Watch. But they charge enough money that they can make new definitions. Right? People are like, "Oh, okay." Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think one one of the reasons it's so appealing is that it's got unbelievable versatility. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that goes great with the white T-shirt or the suit. Or the tux. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you might be pushing it with the tux and a royal oak, but but I mean, if you've got a royal oak, you're just going to wear it all day. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I could see Bond wearing the royal oak. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I I could see Bond wearing the Lexington too. I, I, could I think see, you're right. I could see yeah. it. I could see it. I think the most obvious design feature of the Lexington. Well, I think there's two of them. One, that beautiful stepped bezel mm-hmm. and we don't see that a lot um i i know that uh, another another brand that that we're a big fan of wellsboro 
a, a, a newish face in the microphone. They're they're working with a Japanese case designer, and he's got some of this sort of stepped bezel action happening in some of his designs, which I think is going to carry through to some of Wellsboro's design. But but other than that, I'm not thinking of of too many other watches uh, that have that design feature. It's not a modern design feature. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah, it, I mean. If you had to point some ins- for inspiration there, uh, where would you point? You know, the old 1950s Movado Chronos had steps, but their steps were flatter. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in a way, all I did was just curved it up. So the steps take a different angle upward mm-hmm. they, they climb yeah as steps do that's it as that's steps it. Do. well well i'll tell you it, it it's it's a charming design uh, i think it, it's different than what we're used to and it's so obvious once you see it which i think is what good design should be right you see it and you're like that is just really incredibly obvious even though basically no one else does it Well, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast I did. It kind of surprises me, and maybe you can comment on this, but you don't see that much focus on case design. No. You see a lot of just the same case, different dials, same case. And I think that's such an opportunity for micro brands, indie brands, whatever we're calling them these days. I know... I personally want to have that be a focus for Bremoir is to have mm-hmm. interesting case designs that mm-hmm. are like, you know, familiar to people, but different and unique. Um, and that's, again, the beauty of, of creating anything that the, the possibilities are limitless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like creating music. We're never going to run out of music. There will always be new music. Right. And I think that's something that that you're trying to do to separate yourself from the saturated boutique, small indie micro market. I don't remember what we've settled on, the four-part small name. I've settled on not spending any time thinking about it, and I just say the first term. Oh, well, that causes confusion because what if it's different every time? It might be. Doesn't matter. (laughs) We see a lot of brands come out with a lot of off-the-shelf parts. Uh, yeah, because it's it's cheaper, and, and that's reasonable. When you're when you're pouring your money into a project to make something that you want to make, cost it cost matters. But this the, this ground up design is a is a big separator from other brands that are landing in the market. And and to speak on your design, looking at at pictures of this watch, and you've included the Chrysler building on your website. This this watch is the Chrysler building. It's so fucking cool. Like that's, that's what I see now when I see it. And it all seems, it's just this ascending tower, you know, like this, this great chunky tool watch of a case. That's still really elegant with steps up to the dial and an an elevator dial. It's fucking dope. Yeah. Yeah. No, but honestly, if you show the watch to somebody that hasn't seen the website, they would have no idea that it's connected to the Chrysler building. No, but if you say Chrysler building and they look at it, it's just immediate like that. The inspiration is so 
mm-hmm. clearly done. And I've we, we've all seen a lot of things like this is inspired by this. And I'm like, no, you did this thing. And then you found something that looked generally like it. And you're like, this inspired it. No, th- this is this is a beautiful homage to that style of architecture and, and really that building specifically. Yeah, and, and it's evocative in a way that you've avoided any sort of tackiness, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're able to see the elements once you know it, but it's, you, you know, you, you could have made decisions that would have been, uh, yeah, I, I mean, think, you, le- you less... Don't, you don't want to be literal. No, that's know? right. You don't want to be literal. Yeah, because if you'd have just put the Chrysler building on the case back and said, this is inspired by Chrysler building and Art Deco design, miss. Yeah. <laughs> and you definitely don't want to be literal when you, what you really mean is figurative, too. That's another thing you don't want to be. God. True. <laughs> he said, sure. Patrick said, sure. Yeah, he He's concurs. done with us. He's like, these guys. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to I'm going to start giving you guys the hand signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut it off. <laughs> cut it off. Uh, so, so you you've. Uh, I, I we've talked about the stepped bezel. The, the other, I think, design feature here that's just jumps right out at you is what I'll call the sector dial. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think I don't think that that's actually what draws the attention, although that is that is what your eyes see. Really, what I think it is is these absolutely stunning markers with, you know, perhaps a uh, Chrysler Tower Spire at the end and, and the interesting loom. So so basically the entire dial, you've done something really great with. Talk us through the dial design and and what you're going for there. I think it's it's obvious enough if you look at these pictures, but let's hear it from, from the, the designer who may yeah, or may so, not be a designer. Um, you know, I think I think every designer is always going to be pulling in things they love personally, and I'm a sucker for the sector dial. I think they're so cool. Just and again, like Art Deco, the majority. Let me take that back. The majority of Art Deco architecture, there's a lot of symmetry. Mm-hmm. Of course, a sector dial is incredibly symmetric. Maybe they'll have a a date window at six o'clock, but generally I think like most sector dials are without a date window. I truly think, symmetric. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I love sector dials. So, you know, I, I, I pulled that in, we made the hour markers nice and angled so that they really catch the light beautifully. Sure. And, and you can and tell then, every picture you see the, the, the markers are a different color. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're like, like blue, almost like it's a blue color. It's that polish on them just captures whatever whatever is reflected by them. It's it's yeah. an incredible look. Yeah, and then you know the the idea of the triangles at the the outside ends of the hour marker. It was just one of those things that just were like, oh, what if we did this? And it it worked out beautifully put a little loom around it and we're like oh this is this is a great you know as you said an homage i guess to the chrysler building as seen in the night skyline of new york Mm -hmm. yeah you know homage is a bad word in the in the world of watches we we found but i think we're both big advocates to uh, of using homage in the way it was intended right because well that's because they're People are using it as an homage to another watch. I mean, 
which is really a Don't copy. Don't get me started. Yeah. We can use better we can use better words for that because homage is such a great word when used appropriately, but in in watches it's a dirty word because people say it to mean copy. I made this watch yeah. that looks just like this other watch as an homage to this watch, so I had to pay less for the watch. <laughs> so when we say this is an homage to the Chrysler building, we mean that in the true sense, in the sense that that you've actually homaged these beautiful elements in a way that's cohesive. I think that's maybe I think that's maybe what what Andrew was was getting at, and and I'll just follow on with saying cohesive. That's mm-hmm. that's what you've done here. You've created a cohesive watch. Well, thank you. Well, well, you're welcome. You're, yeah. you're welcome. <clears throat> so, Andrew's going to say something. I want to ask, so this started as a dive watch, right? So the case remained the same. What was the... What took you to this direction? I mean, you've, you've already talked about liking sectors, but what was what brought this up as, as the next, next idea to kind of come to the top to, to get here? Because this isn't an easy decision. This is this I is think, a pretty I, complex watch. I think if you look at um, watches from the '40s, so I'll make an admission here that we're actually outside of the age of Art Deco when we get into the '40s. For sure, for sure. But yeah, '40s dial designs were spectacular. These concentric circles, these beautiful chapter rings on the inside of the dial that's that's very 40s design mm-hmm. yeah which i love so again i'm going to incorporate things that i love and think are beautiful um well yeah cuz when we talk about 20s watches when we talk about 20s watches i mean really we're talking about mainly feminine watches or at least from a design aspect we're talking about very small watches we're talking about primarily square watches also also pocket pocket watches gigantors yeah um and and so we really don't get into modern watch design for another as you've said until really the 40s is when modern watch design sort of takes off so it's it's almost unavoidable that you're not going to be able to, the source material is just not there. Yeah. And again, and again, I never set out to make replicas of watches in the twenties, you know, that it's always inspired by the twenties and thirties. So, yeah. Um, but you know, as I look at the watch, cause I've got one in front of me as well. Another thing I love about design is mixing textures and creating contrast. And so there was a lot of deliberate design that went into creating contrasts of polished versus brushed. Sure. So on the dial, the majority of the dial is a matte finish. The, the chapter ring in the middle is, is a metallic brushed um, finish that gives a nice, again, a nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, the, so, so I think that the contrast is, is really the sort of glaring feature of this watch. And I don't say that in a bad way. Um, did you find yourself, did you find yourself um, having to pull anything back in any time, just in the design process? We don't talk a ton about design here on the show because it can be a little boring, but I'm curious about this with this particular watch. I know we've talked about the evolution from 
dive to what this is now. But within that, once you really knew what this watch was going to be, did you have to pull back from that at all on any aspects? I think, yeah, I think you're, you're always, you're always pulling back. Right. Because you're always over designing. Right. Because it's easy to over design. And that's, I think that's a mistake that a lot of designers and brands make. There's, there's too much happening on the dial. Right. It's, your eye doesn't know where to go. It's busy. And again, it's, it's okay. I, I know like if you've got a chronograph, you need a tachometer and you need all these, these markers, right? So a chronograph is naturally going to be a little bit busier. Sure. But on a three-hander, if you really want to strip it down, you could go to three hands and maybe 12, three, six, and nine. Right. You can go two hands. You can go Bauhaus. There's there's a lot of ways you can overdo that. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I will say that, you know, for a while in the aughts, the whole minimalist thing, this was when, you know, Movement Watches was coming up, Daniel Wellington. I mean, no offense to those guys, but those watches were boring as there, you couldn't tell a Daniel Wellington from a movement from uh, any other of the gazillion yeah. brands that were making watches with the two hands and then, you know, the dashes around the minute track and that's it. And no one's doing anything especially unique in that space. No one's using cool movements. No one's using cool technology. It's all very pedestrian but but movement aside though, it's like the design isn't there. The, yeah. The the dial is just zero personality. Mm-hmm. It's you know the, and, and zero and zero creativity. The the watch I think about, I mean, really, it, it's it's this concept to the nth degree, but the Movado Museum watch, which is a, a, a famous watch. Um, and, and and the idea of the Movado Museum is really beautiful. That that museum dial. It, it, it's a really fun concept and it was, you know, like Jackson Pollock perhaps or, or, or whatever, right? The, the original is a, is it art? And then beyond, yeah. and then beyond that original, it's boring, right? Be, because yeah, I was, was going to say, it's amazing because they did it first. Yes. It, yes. They did it first. The idea and, is the beautiful thing as opposed to this execution that everybody knows is easy. That's what's great about it is it, it was easy, but until someone thought about it, it didn't exist. And then yeah. now, you know, we have brands who are entirely built around that model. Right. <laughs> but, but guys, I'm going through this exercise right now because I'm, we're working on another model. Mm. Well, well, that's, that's great. That's a perfect segue. So let, let's talk about it because art deco, I think it is a, a huge art deco is a huge idea and, and sort of like modernism, which I think art deco and modernism parallel each other in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, contemporaries of, of the two ideas are contemporaries of one another. They're sort of um, unique in that they are kind of a, a climax of of certain principles right so modernism is is what we call modernism is 
is followed closely by by postmodernism, right? Which suggests you know a, a sort of a, some sort of climax. I think in some ways Art Deco is maybe less climactic, but but similar in that we get to this you, you know precipice and, and and in terms of industry in terms of art in terms of philo- philosophical concepts the whole world is doing a thing and, and and about to roll down a hill uh the other direction so so you you've got ideas there you've got concepts you've got ideas the the, the subject material is, is great how do you as a designer though how do you as a designer maintain that brand language that you've in some ways married yourself to obviously brands can evolve and but but the way you've put your brand out you've dedicated yourself to art deco so how do you take those ideas and keep from being weird or played out um and and does that go on for forever do you think yeah i mean you you definitely have to kind of pick what is going to be my distinguishing brand feature, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, I had an actually interesting conversation, you know, a few weeks back in France with these guys I just had mentioned. The Marseille boys. The Marseille boys. And these guys had actually designed their own go figure dive watch. Who? 50 watches sold them out in like a week but they were they were trying to tell me and convince me that the way to go is just to don't change the case and just change the dials which is a really common method incredibly common because it makes business sense yeah (laughs) and i get it and i was like i was like yeah i kind of get it but that's fucking boring. Yeah. Pure and simple. Like how am I going to, how am I going to use the case for the Lexington on another model that's inspired by another piece of architecture? They won't work at all. Or another idea. I mean, are you, are you married to architecture? Is that kind of, is that going to be the inspirational jam of the brand is iconic buildings and and that's that I think that can be really cool because that can translate across forever. Well, and 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 the beautiful thing yeah. I think I mentioned this before, but what's fun about Art Deco is it was a it was global. You know, you go to any major city around the world. I don't care if you're in Paris, Sydney, Australia, Mumbai, uh, you'll find Art Deco buildings. Yeah, it's there, right? Because during the 20s and early 30s. The whole world was building in this design style. Mm-hmm. And everybody was building. Yeah. People yeah, were, were fucking were building. Yeah. Those were boom years. Yeah. Well, yeah. so so what are you going to give us in terms of teasers here? Because you're working on the next watch. You you've admitted to it. Yeah, yeah. You I'll don't give have, you the same. You, you I'll get, give you the same teasers that have already been out there. I'll give you the the name of the building. It's, we're bringing it back to LA actually. Um, and it's funny because most people think we're based in New York just because Chrysler building. I tag a lot of the posts, New York sure. to go along with the Lexington and the New York thing. 
but I'm based here in LA, you know, some of the guys that support me are based here in LA. So we're bringing it back to LA. We're going to do a watch inspired by the Griffith Observatory. Oh, yeah. Ooh. What? Okay. And I actually saw that you and posted a picture on Instagram of the Griffith Observatory. I think that was on my personal feed. I, I, it may have been. You creep, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, Everett. Everett. That, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It, Andrew's also a creep. I linked just it to I sent it to him. He doesn't admit <laughs> to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, no, but it's fabulous, fabulous building. Beautiful. It's iconic. It's if you've never been, it's like, it's maybe one of those second tier tourist destinations that's totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Like you go up there and you go for a hike, you look at the Hollywood sign, you can do a picnic in front of the building, you have sweeping views of LA. I mean, on a clear day, it's like, it's a wow type of place. It, it, the location was chosen for its prominence uh, above its surrounding, above its yeah. surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so naturally, we're gonna do a moon phase. Okay, I, I think that fits so. Mike, was that a mic drop? I, okay, I, I think it fits so well. I'm really looking forward to to seeing what you've come up with. Uh, it's gonna be good. That's super exciting. Yeah, I like it. So you are selling watches right now, currently. Watches for yeah. sale. And, watches and for sale. Watches for sale. Are, are there any not available? Because you've got the Lexington and four colorways. Interestingly named colorways. Yeah. I, there, there's. Do you like the names or no? I, I like the names. I What I noted was that even though there was opportunity for some sort of thematic consistency to the names, you've really gone in different directions with all of them. So So one is named after... A restaurant. One is named after a city. One is named after a cigar. Even though there was a very obvious city that you could have chosen in that uh, collection, and one's named after an outfit. So, so that is. I like it. No criticism. Did Did you have conversations about these? Were these there are all Roaring Twenties ideas? Are you thinking about well, like Morocco and the Cohiba? But no, these, these all make sense for me. Well, they all have they all have a bit of a backstory, um, and I think maybe some of that's on the website, maybe not. But we we spent uh, our we spent our time deep diving. We didn't look at the story of the colors. We apologize. Yeah. Well, the blue and silver one, we call it the Cloud Club. Um, the Cloud Club was a an infamous, I should say, an infamous, a men's only lunch spot at the top of the Chrysler building because that was the the times and the places where it was men only power lunches big time business moguls it was a private club so you have to have a membership to go and dine there so that you could have booze probably yeah I I'm I'm sure because it was two <laughs> level there was like club level and then dining level um, so, although, although to, we should set the record straight, Chrysler Building, I believe, opened in 1930, so it opened post post prohibition. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, and so, so Morocco, obvious enough, right? The, these colors, you've got the blue and and gold. Well, Morocco was was chosen because the lobby of the building they used Moroccan marble. Aha. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, 
yeah, like a like a beautiful auburn reddish Moroccan stone in the lobby. Okay, we've got Cohiba, and it occurred to me you you may have gone with Havana for that colorway, but I like Cohiba. In fact, I think Cohiba is probably the coolest cigar brand in the world. Uh, let's talk about that decision. Cohiba uh, Co- only because you know it's a beautiful chocolatey dial, like a cigar. Sure, mm-hmm. it has that deep, rich brown, and it is a stunning color, know, by the way. To your point, Havana in the 1920s was the a place. place where Americans went regularly and freely, and they gambled there and they partied there, and it was like that's when Havana was popping off. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I don't the the other one I don't really get tuxedo I just don't get it yeah that one it doesn't make any sense <laughs> just it's classic black. what do you want <laughs> black silver <laughs> no I'm joking obviously it, yeah it, it makes a ton of sense well beautiful watches available now I wanted to I, they're available on your website which is pretty common for folks that come on our show oftentimes their their watches are available on their website oftentimes. I can think of a couple of exceptions, but oftentimes that's exclusive. You are different from most of the brands that we talk to in that you've got a fairly well-developed retailer network. Uh, and, and so you, you've just given us a, a so-so hand motion uh, suggesting you, you're, you're maybe not happy with the development. But in any event, four separate retailers, retail partners... And and in the age of direct internet sales, that's uncommon. How how did you develop those relationships and how was that going? Yeah, you know, this is another topic I feel like we could spend a very long time talking about it because <laughs> yeah. it's an interesting one. Um, it, you mean like the economic situation we find ourselves in globally? That too. Um, you know, a, a industry veteran who I went to for a bit of advice pre-launch, he highly recommended that I try to develop some retail channels. And his argument was, whether it's this watch or the next one, or as you grow, you're gonna wanna have those guys helping you sell watches so that you can stay focused on running your business uh, designing the next watches, dealing with your supply chain, dealing with your inventory, doing your marketing. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. that goes into it, you know? Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a smart idea. Um, there's of course pros and cons to having the retailers. I mean, obviously they need to be compensated. Yeah. Right. So the margin goes watch, the margin goes somewhere, right? The myth of the middleman being cut out is is just that. It's a myth. So so now you've created well, you created well, a middleman. Yeah. middleman. Yeah, no. If you're selling direct to consumer, you are cutting out the middleman, but you're also cutting out maybe a whole channel that could help you sell more. Mm-hmm. Which is I mean, why I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I've got I've got one uh jeweler out in Palm Desert, which is about two hours outside of Los Angeles. It's right next to Palm Springs. Everyone's it's, heard it's of Palm Emmerich, Springs. Emmerich Jewels, if you're in, Emmerich Jewels. If you're yeah. in Palm Desert. 
Great guy. And other Rick, desert Rick cities. Rick is the is owner. What the exit says. It says Palm Desert and other desert cities. The exit off of the uh, what's the free the east west freeway that goes through there. The ten. Yeah, off the ten. Yeah. <laughs> Palm Desert and yeah. other desert cities. It was a horrifying sign to see. So tell us about Emmerich. <clears throat> um. So yeah, I, I I was out in the area for God knows what, maybe visiting some friends or doing some business out there. Uh, this was when I had the just the prototypes, my four prototypes. And this is on the back end of the conversation with this industry veteran. And I, I literally walked, they have like a, it's called Paseo. It's their main strip. It's, and Palm Desert is a very affluent area. So on Paseo, right. it's basically the Rodeo Drive of the desert. You've got your Louis Vuitton. You've got all these big brand names that are there and a lot of jewelry stores. So I spent a couple hours literally going into every jewelry store being like, Hey, check these out. Any interest in possibly carrying these? And Rick at Emmerich Jewels was the last stop I made before I was just going to jump in my car and get out of my way. Was he the last stop because it was the last stop on the way back to your car? Or was he the last stop? Cause you finally got it. And you're like, that's an F I win today and I'm moving on. No, he was kind of like the last shop that I had okay. not been into. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's a win. And that's a that's like a primo spot to have anything because just just the impulse purchasing in that environment. Hey, this is new. I haven't seen this before. I got it. And again, it's about being where. Sorry to be a little bit crude, but being where the money is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a place where there's it's all snowbirds. So people with second homes, third homes, fourth homes. Um, and you're presenting them with something new that no one else has because there's not that many of these watches, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are like, oh, this is cool. Oh, this is a thousand bucks. Yeah. Swipe my credit card. (laughs) Right. Right. Too easy. Like no problem. Um, so he's been great. I mean, he's, he's moved like quite a few of them at this point. Is that kind of luxury feel part of your decision-making to go Swiss? In your movement. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about the movement real quick. And and then we're going to have to, and then we're going to have to sort of move this forward. Um, STP, uh, STP movement. So, so STP you, 111, uh, no date. Which is kind of the, the standard STP movement. It's not a movement we see a lot. And, and I don't know that there are any good reasons for that. It's just, of of the kind of player three hand no date movements, it's it's maybe the least common. How did you settle on STP, and and what have you guys done to that movement to sort of you know I know you've you've done some some stuff to that. Yeah, um, you know it's a at a twenty eight twenty four clone similar to the Salida SW one hundred I believe something like that two hundred yeah. one yeah. or whatever. So architecturally, it's sound right. It's a, it's a design that's been around forever. The beauty of these clones or cloning a movement that's been around forever is that any watchmaker can service them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Often um, one-to-one part compatibility. and Totally. Um, and I just, I read an article on, uh, I think it was a blog to watch. Those guys went to the factory and 
said great things and you know, I got in touch with them and ordered the movements directly. That's a cool experience. That's nice. Yeah. Um, we customized them and and then, you know, the watches are assembled here in the US. So that's a really nice layer of quality control. Mm-hmm. So those guys, um, Fine Time Solutions, uh, FTS Inc. F- FTS out of out Arizona. Of yeah. 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 They're out of Arizona. Awesome dudes, by the way. Shout out to those guys. Um, you know, yeah, they get the movements, they get to check them, they get to, you know, pull out any that are non-conforming, if you will. And, you know, what I have to remind people is anytime you're dealing with a mechanical movement and you're dealing with 300 of them, there will be some movements that you're going to have a are not performing right. Yeah. Perfectly. Like this is, this is normal. Yeah. Um, and it's why, you know, a lot of companies, including Bremoire, we offer, you know, a two year warranty. So that typically will get you past the, the point of finding out if there's an issue with the movement. Yeah. You'll right? find out in the first year, if there's a problem with the movement, probably sooner yeah, than that, like, to be honest. Yeah. Well, so great. We've talked about we've talked about your current watch, the Lexington. We've talked about your future watch, the Griffith Observatory watch. We've talked about. I'm imagining a bubble diver. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I want. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be a bubble, bubble diver. What, what, what is a bubble diver? A, a big ass bubble crystal diver. We're oh. talking two thousand meters of water resistance here. Right, right, right. <laughs> with yeah, a moon right. face. Obviously. Uh with a moon face. Uh so, so what what have we not talked about? I guess that's my question for you, Patrick, because we've got you here. We probably don't have you here for very much longer. Are you are you gonna join us like permanently on a semi permanent basis here? I could. Okay. I'm available. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 else do do you want to tell us about about Bremoir or about Lexington or about what's coming up for you guys? Oh man. Um, well, I do have uh, something coming up that is going to be in the much shorter term than the Griffith. And I'm not hundred percent settled on that name. We'll see. That's the but, working, um, that's the working name. It's in pencil yeah. still. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. We might solidify it as the Griffith. I don't know. We'll see. But um, we are going to be releasing a new dial variant. Oh. Yeah, we're going for number five. And what's funny is this is a dial that I wanted to release first. And the Cohiba was its replacement. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a quick look at it. Very hard to see it through a... You know, a computer sure, screen. Sure, it's sure. going to blur it out. He knows exactly what's about to happen. He's got one of those Zoom call blur screens. Every time he moves his hands away, it's just, it's it's blurred out. All right. You've promised the goods. The folks at home won't be able to, ooh. It's it blurred is out. blurred out. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Fantastic. So are, is that, are we going to, is that safe to call that champagne? It's close. That's another thing I'm, this is terrible light, but, uh. Like. No, it, it's beautiful. So what we're looking at, we're looking at a, a, a gold ring. I assume it's the same gold ring as on copper. the Morocco mm-hmm. copper. Excuse me, copper. A, and yeah. then and then a, a, maybe an off white or ecru. Yeah, dials. it's like a it's like a sunset sand or 
Sounds it's, like you haven't settled on the name yet. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. No, call no. call the Grand Seiko folks. They're really good at this sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but my but my my first That's a beautiful colorway. Yeah, it's I, I wish you could see it in better light. I'll send you pictures after the show, but it's it's super nice. And like I said, it's it's one of the colors that I wanted to launch initially, but unfortunately the the factory just wasn't really getting it right. I wasn't happy with it. And I was like, all right. We'll wait. You know, yeah, and, we'll and looking at your colorway options, that 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 colorway perfectly rounds out the family. Yeah. Maybe, maybe fair to say it was missing from the family. Well, it's it's nice because it's a it's a lighter color. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be a great summer fall watch. Um, and the other thing is the Morocco and the Cohiba are selling the best. Mm-hmm. People just love that copper ring. So this is another one that um, should sell pretty well. Fantastic. So if you want to look at these, you can do so at bremoir.com. We didn't talk about bremoir. Uh, is, it, is it okay if I tell this anecdote? So it, it's a combination sure. of your name, Bremer, and memoir. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is which is beautiful. It it works so well, and and I think it's great. If you want to find a, a Bremar watch, you can do that right from your iPhone, sitting in your uh, lawn chair. It is b r e m o i r bremoir.com. You can also, if if you if you are are so inclined, several brick and mortars. We've got Grand Central Watch in New York City. We've got Gibson in Los Angeles. We got for the people in Phoenix, and as discussed, Emmerich Jewelers in Palm Desert and other desert cities, t- cities, and other desert cities. Yes. <laughs> um. And and so and so, ch- check these guys out. Check this watch out, uh, because it's beautiful. Um, I, I know that you guys have a website, and you're updating with blogs. Your your Instagram is very interesting. It's not the typical watch brand Instagram. I'd say I I think you do a fun thing with the art deco, the jazz. Um, It's an interesting, it's an interesting social media identity. I think it's fun. I think it's enjoyable. Um, I'd say give them a follow. That's at Bremoir at Instagram, correct? Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, And, and, and where else can people find you if they wanted to do so? Well, I'm in LA pretty much full time. So anytime you're in LA, hit me up. We can get a coffee, grab a beer, show you the watches. Um, I'm probably going to be in New York at the the Worn and Wound show in October, I believe that will yeah. happen. Yeah, in the new location. Yeah. Um, I think we'll both be there. Are you planning on being there? I think we'll both be there. Correct. I think we'll both be there. Cool, cool. We can have a, a, a tequila grapefruit cocktail, perhaps. Let's do it. It'll be Let's October. It. It's, it's whiskey time by October right. time. So fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great, Andrew. Other things. What do you got? I got something. Uh, we've been drinking all night. We have been. Drinking I all night. I was you know in in like oh you mean we've been drinking your other thing all night yeah all night because we have been also just drinking all night yeah no we've been drinking your other thing all night the the other thing so my other thing is my go to summer like when it's hot summer cocktail which is a cheap 100% agave tequila and that's the key 100% agave so my go-to is 
El Himador. It's great, great classic tequila. Super clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually get the Blanco. This is the Añejo. I decided to try the Añejo, and I think it comes through the grapefruit a little bit better. And just cheap as you can find mm-hmm. a grapefruit juice. Mix it as strong as you like. Put it on some ice. Super refreshing. Delicious. This is my go-to summer cocktail. So if you're looking for something to lighten up your summer drinking habits, 100% agave tequila and uh, grapefruit. Delicious. Also sneaky. It's Yeah, I know it gets you there. It, it's sneaky. It's a sneaky cocktail. Yeah. Because of the sweetness of the grapefruit juice. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. It, yeah. It's been really good. And, and I'm glad I'm glad that that is your other thing. Um, Patrick, I know you've prepared another thing because we we talked about the preparation and you were a little mysterious when you said, I've got something. So I'm curious to hear uh, other things. What do you got? Uh, I have spent quite a bit of time in France this summer. Um, my fiance is French. So relatively newly engaged so we've been spending some time congratulations there's just a lot happening there and she's not one of the marseille boys i assume no he said she (laughs) hey but you know today you you don't know it could you don't know yeah yeah. Yeah, no that's they them that that's right you never know but uh but yeah no i just i've been traveling in france and i hadn't spent much time there ever before I've been to Paris, you know, once. Uh, I'd never been down to the French Riviera. Got down there. Last trip, spent a little time in Provence, which I had always heard was this amazing, magical region of southern France, and just the greatest food on earth. And man, highly, highly recommend, gentlemen. Highly recommend. And, and so, any places in particular in Provence that you thought this is this is it? This is it for me. Um, well, kind of the the big city. It's not much of a city, but it's it was cool and charming and fun. Is Axe Axe en Provence? It's spelled A I X. Um, you know, it's just it's so great being back in Europe after not being there so long with COVID and. You know, going out on a Friday night, you go into these beautiful plazas and there's chairs and tables everywhere and everyone's drinking outside. Like, man, it was so much fun. Just like And the- I was thinking, man, there's there's so few places in the United States where you can get that, where you can get tons of tables outside, you know, because of course the open container laws there are a little bit Lucy Ducey, mm-hmm. sure, if you will. Uh, yeah, as as uh, they if it's are not open, it's a Western Europe, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's not open, what are you doing? Well, and what's your experience traveling in France? So it sounds like you hit all these places, and I think for most Americans, when we're like, "Oh, well, you went to five places in France," when you look at an overlay of France versus the United States, it's like just a, it's like Illinois, Wisconsin, and Ohio. Like, so is that is that amount of travel pretty common across the country to be like going border to border over the course well, of, uh, you know, several days? Uh, I was definitely mostly in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great because we we were posted up and we would do day trips to places and come back and have home base. And that's the beauty of, you know, Europe. Everything is 
so much smaller and closer and you can you can do that you can leave your home base right and go see a totally different area and drive back at night and and it's all good and so we, i i imagine if i was in south of france eating and drinking at cafes i'd probably like just jump right in and like be smoking cigarettes and oh, yeah. just doing the oh, yeah. you, you just do the full meal deal right oh yeah they're they're still cranking on those cigs the heaters cranking on sucking them. heat rods and oh, we yeah. drink silver bullets here but i imagine they're drinking delicious cocktails or wine or, or wine yeah yeah well that, that's but, a, but I, you're I, right the, the food is like pff, next level yeah so great I don't know that we've ever had a a whole country is another thing. So that's that's new for us. I liked it. Hey, you know, that'll be hard to link to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a Wikipedia page. It's going to put up the flag. France. Um, uh, very cool. This one thing that I haven't done as much as I'd like to is travel. So uh, I, I actually am inspired by your other thing. Yeah, you got to get out there, man. Got to get out there. So I've got another thing for this week. It's it's. Also based on traveling. Okay. But it's maybe less sexy. Is that okay? Is it because you're saying it? It's because I'm saying text it. Text him the other thing and have him say it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got another thing. It is a, it's a stove. It's a camping stove. It's a camping stove by like the least sexy company on the face of the earth called Coleman. Uh, this is... The second time you're doing this. Have I done this yeah. one before? So I went camping this weekend and we brought... Is this really the second time I've done this 100%. stove? 100%. The, the dual fuel. Yeah. Well, look, guys, it, it's worth hey, a second. Long enough, it's let him, yeah, it's let worth him a second go around because every time I pull this thing out when we're camping. So what it is is a Coleman powerhouse. I think it's a 414 or something. It's a dual fuel stove. It runs on white gas. It actually runs on gasoline and kerosene. A, a, a number of different gases, but vodka. vodka but strong enough. Tequila. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, I feel like this is the stove that all of our dads had. And that none of us have. We go camping. We went camping with 10 families this weekend. So 10 families and nobody had a proper cooking stove. There were several sort of half-assed cooking stoves. Um, some people cooking on the fires, which is cool. That's respectable. And I had this. I had my Coleman stove. And it was like it was like a hit because it's so good. It's so good. Uh, that basically everybody who was in the camp when we were cooking is like, man, I got to get one of these. They're not cheap. It's like 200 bucks for these things, which is how long have you had it? I've had mine since 2006. I know exactly when I bought it. I've had it since 2006 and it looks like it's, it's getting older now, right? This is now like actually literally, as we said, dad's camp stove. So my kids will grow up understanding that this was dad's cook stove, but it's just, I think it's one of my favorite things that I own because it's so perfect at doing the job that it sets out to do better technology than all of the new stoves that you can buy it's fantastic and it's because of the simplicity that's it it's there are no frills there are no bells and whistles yeah put fuel in the fucker you fire it up and you have fire and the construction is right the construction is sort of like that 1960s uh, there's some things that are a little bit suspect with the construction, but it's, it's, they, they overbuilt it everywhere where, you know, like they've got folded spot welded steel, but they've overbuilt it all. So it's just going to last forever. Enamel paint. It's, it's great. 
I'm sorry. It's made in America. Because uh, Coleman. Well, actually, probably not. It's probably not. Yeah. Probably I, not. I, I don't know that, but it, it, it certainly has that feel to it, which is all that really matters. I dig it. Yeah. It's a it's a worthwhile. I'm sorry, it's the second time, Andrew. It's, the look of disappointment on your face. No, it's, it's actually it's sheer amusement. This is <laughs> I I'm telling Andrew, you, Andrew. Would you make up for Everett's I, misstep here? I intend to also link to the previous show and timestamp <laughs> when you did this other thing because I swear <laughs> to God, that's verbatim what you said the first round, which is indicative of just how true it's true it is. Yeah. The separation of at least one, but probably two years. You're the only one with a fire going and everyone else is cooking with bullshit and backpacking stoves. Yeah. At a camping site. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like jet boil. No, jet boil's for backpacking. Jet boil is not for camping. That's right. Camping, stove, big old cast iron skillet. We've got room in the minivan. Yeah. We've got room in the minivan. You don't have to carry it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to carry it. It doesn't matter if it weighs 12 pounds. Patrick Bremer of Bremoir watches. Parting thoughts. What do you got, man? Parting thoughts. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just. Uh, we we didn't really talk about the whole micro brand scene, but it's pretty cool these days. I mean, there's a lot of awesome, interesting indie brands, micro brands. Again, I know that's a debatable term, but. Uh, yeah, I, I would just encourage people to support support the little guys because they're doing some cool things, and uh, one day they might not be so small anymore. Yeah, you're you're Church, gonna yeah. you, you know if you, if you said that uh, to a room full of our listeners, I think you'd hear uh, protests of the preaching of the choir because I think that's the people that listen to this show, and certainly that's what we're into. So you, you're you're in great company. Uh, it's been a total pleasure to have you. Um, Again, Brumwar.com, at Brumwar on Instagram, you know, and also Emmerich Jewelers in, in Palm Desert. A- Andrew, Andrew, anything you want to I, add? I'm out of things, man. Hey, look, you guys, seriously, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Absolute uh, blast. Signing off, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 or at Watch Clicker. You can also check us out. Uh, check Patrick out at, at Bremoir. Uh, you can check us out on our website, watchclicker.com and at bremoir.com for Patrick. If you want to support our show, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. We really appreciate your support, you guys. All of those who are patrons, we love you. Thank you so much. And, and don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs>